So, gentlemen, what are we going to do about the trophy for the Hungarian Grand Prix this year? The Austrian Grand Prix has a rather lovely wooden trophy. The French of a somewhat robust model gorilla. And most of the others are silverware. So what can we do that is different, memorable, and unique? Zoltan, what do you think? We could make the trophy out of carbon fiber. No, 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 that is too predictable. Attila, what do you suggest? How about if we make the trophy out of exquisite porcelain? Excellent suggestion, Attila. Consider it done. I, for one, can't see any problem with making a trophy out of a very delicate, brittle material. I'm sure Lando Norris or whoever is on the podium will obviously take great care of it. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Zog. Hello. And a huge welcome back to Sarah Leach. Hello, Sarah. Hi, hello. Seems like months since we've spoken. It does, actually. Have you been following the F1 as closely as I know you probably have? Yes, I have. We seem to have a further lead with Max Verstappen. So there hasn't been any sort of surprise winners, I suppose. He's just been gaining momentum. But... We did have a surprise person on pole for the last race. That's correct. Didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lewis showing his quality again. And it's good to see that he really can still deliver. He really likes that circuit. But setting a record for the most number of poles by any driver at a single track, I think. That's quite an achievement. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, I mean, there were other records broken that weekend as well, weren't there? If you count the last race of last season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Red Bull have won 12 races in a row, if you count the last race of last season. 11 Mm -hmm. races, if you don't, which puts them on the par with McLaren, is that right? It's beating the McLaren record, I think. Because didn't McLaren get 11? But in any case, I think this counting the last race of the last season, it's a bit of a fudge. I think you've got to do it in the same season for it to count. So, but hey, yeah, I'm sure they're going to do it next weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah it, we're just going, we're just going to wait another few days for them to break the record. As much as not just I, we love F1, and as much as we admire the skills and strength of the Red Bull team with Max Verstappen at the moment, it's really annoying that no one else is winning, isn't it? Yes, it is a bit. There has been a little bit of excitement, though. You know, I suppose the only stories that we can go with are all the stories of all the other teams. And there's been, you know, moments of brilliance from many of the other teams. So including McLaren, for one. Yeah. They have had a couple of really good weekends. And then we've also got Fernando Alonso. Aston Martin have been doing well this year. And then we've also got changes in the Red Bull seats. So some stories going on in other parts of the paddock. The McLaren mid-season revival is a great story. And I'm sure we love seeing that. Lando is delivering a spectacular performance oh, after yeah. spectacular performance. And Piastra, he's lived up to the hype. They've got a great combo there and they're actually developing the car enough to let them get decent results. So, yes, it's a little bit boring that Verstappen just keeps winning race after race after race. Fair play to him and Red Bull for doing as well as they are. So, yeah, yeah, actually a lot of the drama and a lot of the excitement is really coming 
further down the field. It's the best of the rest. We've been getting a lot of drama, a great show from McLaren in particular. Mercedes have got it together, though, and Russell was great this week. At the same time that Lewis was terrific putting it on pole, unfortunately couldn't really match that performance in the race. Russell did wonderfully to pull himself up. It was a very messy qualifying. He lost out. He didn't even get out of... um, Q1. Yeah, exactly. He didn't even get out of Q1. And from that very poor start, actually did beautifully in the race to get the finish he did. But of course, the other great story this week was, you know, our old favourite, Danny Rick is back. Yes. Happiest, smiliest man in F1. Uh, You know, how great was that? At which point we hand over to Sarah. (laughs) Yes, I suppose so. My fellow Australian in Tanya Ricardo. Yeah, it's great news. I was just reading now, actually, that the Red Bull team, it was a helmet Marco, had already told Nick De Beers during Ricardo's testing session that Nick De Beers had lost his seat because apparently Daniel Ricardo was just killing it in his testing and he was doing so well that his lap times would have got in pole position, you know, against all the other cars. So they obviously, he romped it in and getting a seat with AlphaTauri, given that I suppose AlphaTauri wasn't performing up to the standards that they wanted. So Daniel Ricciardo deserves his new seat. And the word is that he wants to work towards a seat in the top team in 2025 because Perez's contract runs out at the end of 2024. Christian Horner has said very publicly over the last couple of weekends that, oh no, Perez will be our driver next year, which makes me think... Well, he is his driver next year. Yeah, contractually. Well, but the fact that Christian Horner is saying that makes me think that Perez ain't going to be their driver next year. That's generally how it works in F1, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Well, it'll be down to his performance, won't it? You know, if, if Perez does well enough for the rest of the season, they'll keep him in the car. If they're not happy with him... Yeah, they'll yank him out and put someone else in there. And then, you know, it could be Ricardo if Ricardo again, does well enough for the rest of the season. He had a tricky weekend in Hungary with the incident at the start. But after that, he got back up to 13th and had a better race than Sonoda, which is what he needs to do. But he needs to do more than just do better than Sonoda. You know, he needs to excel if he's going to have a chance of getting the Red Bull seat back. Sarah, you said last year, I remember, that you thought it was really smart of Danny Rick to go back to the Red Bull stable with a view of potentially getting back on the grid. I was a bit cynical about that i remember thinking no i think his days are numbered i think the damage was done at mclaren but when he then said oh i'll drive for alpha tauri i thought oh no don't do that that's a pig of a car you're not making it easy for yourself you're better off just staying in the simulator but it's clear that like you said sarah they've got enough data based on what danny rick is capable of now that he might be able to do something for Alpha Tauri. Do you reckon he will better Sonoda? Well, he did this weekend, didn't yeah, he? Daniel yeah. Ricciardo came 13th and Sonoda came in 15th, not far behind him, but at least Daniel Ricciardo got ahead of him for Daniel's sake. That is, I suppose. 
But I do think Daniel will probably do better than Sonoda. Daniel's got more experience than Sonoda. Yeah. I mean, he's been driving for years and years. And I think Daniel, more than anything, just wanted to be back on the grid. No driver, I think, in their right mind would turn down an opportunity to be back in any car. I don't think. I'm not sure what driver has ever turned down that opportunity and said they'd rather stay in the simulator seat. (laughs) Fair point. Having said all this, how do we feel about Nick de Vries? Personally, I think he was made some kind of sacrificial lamb. We know how good Nick de Vries is. He's a very, very capable driver. He was tremendous in F2, became the F2 champion. He earned a win uh, the championship in Formula E, but coming into Alpha Tauri was a, a trauma for him, but they didn't give him much bloody chance. That's typical of the larger Red Bull family, isn't it? Well, they did it to Pierre Gasly. They demoted Pierre Gasly, but they didn't completely boot him off the team, I suppose. Pierre Gasly got demoted from a Red Bull seat down to Alpha Tauri, and then he really proved himself and got picked up in another team. So. I mean, yeah, they are ruthless, and they don't tend to give drivers as much time to prove themselves as some other teams might. They're ruthless, but they're also winning every race at the moment. Exactly. So maybe we should be a little bit cautious about being too harsh on their management style. It works. It's it's working, I think. Yeah. It's tough if you're a driver, but they only want the best. You know, they want they want the best drivers they can have in those seats, understandably, and maybe they're a little bit more hard-edged in their process of getting the drivers into the seats than a lot of other teams are. Yeah, it's harsh, but on the upside, maybe they, you know, more drivers get a chance to prove their worth there than maybe in some other teams. Yeah, OK. There's a flip side. Yeah. You could argue there's a flip side. Yeah. Alpha Tauri, however, their days using the nomenclature Alpha Tauri are numbered after, what, four years of using that brand? Yeah. Apparently, they're going to rebrand the team next year any suggestions what they could call it what they should call it what you'd call it maybe something like red bull academy oh very good just go for the boring option just go back to scuderio toro rosso you know they're the red bull sister team not junior team as they've said they're italian yeah scuderio toro rosso works well what did toro rosso mean red Red Bull. bull in italian oh well there you go toro is bull Rosso is red. I'd call them Red Bull Italia. That would work. Then it allies them much closer to the team and gives a sort of a Italian identity to the team that is based in Italy. Well, up to now has been based in Italy because apparently the model that they're going to use for AlphaTauri from now on is the same as the Haas model in that you buy as many bits as you can from other teams that the rules allow you so you basically make your own monocoque and probably front suspension and aero but your suspension your gearbox and your motor comes from elsewhere and arguably even the concept and that the new version of alpha Tauri, whatever it's called the red bull academy red bull italia Terra rosso or even minardi that's what I think they should be called. Go back to Minardi. Come on, they've got great heritage. Give them a win, you know. But apparently the plan is to move a lot of that decision-making process and the technology to Red Bull Technologies 
in the UK. Hmm. So their Italian identity becomes arguably less important. I think it'd be a shame if they lost that Italian identity. Why they would think the house model works particularly well, I'm not entirely sure. But Good point. You know, if that's what they're going to do, yeah, it gives them an opportunity. It would make sense to maybe go in another direction with the branding. But if you just call it something like Red Bull Italia, it's just too close, I think, to Red Bull. I think you need to have an identity that's a little bit further removed to avoid confusion. There's another one going, which I think would be a good fit for Alpha Tauri. We know that Sauber badged Alfa Romeo at the moment are about to become Audi how about if Alfa Romeo decided that they might like to stay in Formula One after all and did a deal to rebrand Alfa Tauri with a PH to Alfa Romeo with an F and that would give you the Italian identity it's a good name a good brand I know it's getting away from Red Bull, but they're looking for independence. Every team needs to stand alone financially, don't they? And if you want an Italian identity, Alfa Romeo is a terrific one to be able to take on. I wouldn't have a problem with that, although, I don't know, (laughs) the confusion between, well, maybe it resolves the confusion that has long existed between Alfa Tauri and Alfa Romeo. You know, oh, the Alfa's gone off, which one? Well, now we know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. And as the two Red Bull teams are ditching Honda, Aston Martin will pick up Honda engines and possibly McLaren as well. I don't know. It does mean that Alpha Tauri or whatever they're called, if they are Alpha Romeo, will be using the Red Bull Ford powertrains. Okay. So that means they can't brand the engine as an Alfa Romeo. It means that it's got to be Red Bull Ford. So I don't know, Mercury, uh, Gear, that's a good Ford Italian name. Any of these names would suit that team. Hey, I've gone deep fantasy now, which is what I like. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Enough respect to the Red Bull thing. Sarah, I don't know if you were watching Qualificazione, as we're talking mm. Italian, on Saturday, but when Perez went out and spun off on his warm-up lap, the cameras picked up a little boy in the stands oh, yeah, sobbing his heart out. I saw that, and they brought him in to meet him, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, they gave him and his dad VIP passes. He went into the garage. He met the drivers. He sat in the car. There's a lot about Red Bull I dislike, mainly that they're winning everything. That's the main thing I have against them. I also think they're a bit harsh. But the fact that they did something... Not just PR, but generally kind. There was a little boy crying there. He was destroyed. The idea that they went to that trouble to do that, bless them. Respect, Red Bull. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. Absolutely. All right. Max Verstappen leads a championship by, was it 280-something points he's got at the moment? Is that right? Uh, I'm not sure. It's some very large number. Pick a large number and you'll be close. Yeah. I can tell you exactly. Go on. Tell us. We have Max Verstappen at 281 points, followed by Sergio Perez at 171. Fernando Alonso is still coming in third at 139. Closely behind in fourth is Lewis Hamilton, 133. So Lewis might be able to win the third Drivers' Champion if he can surpass Fernando Alonso over the next few races. But, yeah, Max Verstappen is just light years ahead. My question is... When could Max seriously wrap up 
this championship? I've been digging into this and there seems to be several different answers. If he continues winning at the rate he does, you know, every time, he'll either win it in Mexico or the um is it singapore singapore maybe, or it? qatar one of the one of the middle eastern races we've got coming up have we got a qatar race have i imagined that but it's going to be soon and it's going to be before the end of the season and i bet oh, yeah. even if he wins the championship he's not going to take his foot off the throttle he's going to continue winning anyway isn't he because he's got a car that can't not win well unless you're perez <sighs> harsh <laughs> Yeah, as you say, he's not going to lift and coast for the rest of the season once he's sealed it. He's going to carry on, and there's no reason to think they won't dominate the whole season. Well, good luck to him. And Sarah, thank you for joining us. It's been nice to hear your lovely voice again. Oh, it's lovely to see you and speak all Formula One again. <laughs> yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Zog, you stick around and let's talk Goodwood with Alex. Will do. Did you know that Gareth Jones on Speed has a YouTube channel? There you will find many of the Gareth Jones on Speed video episodes recorded for the show over the last 19 series. Plus, lyric videos for on-speed songs. My personal favourite is the one with Gareth dressed up as a purple-haired moon girl. No, really. Simply open YouTube and search Gareth Jones on Speed. Gareth Jones on Speed, for your eyes as well as your ears. I think I should start this part of Gareth Jones on Speed by singing a song, a Bruce Springsteen song. Summer's here and the time is right for racing up the hill. Not in the street, but up the hill. I'm talking about Goodwood because 33.33% of the people on this call at the moment were actually Goodwood this year. Alex, have you dried out? <laughs> uh, I have dried out. The wind burn hasn't quite gone yet, though. Wind burn? Yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with everything that happened this year, but it's supposed to be a four-day festival, you know, properly in full swing. It was scheduled to be there Thursday to Saturday. On the Thursday, I've never seen it quite so busy. The weather was glorious, which was great, but it felt like a Saturday of any other year. It was stacked with people. It was ridiculous. But other than that, the Friday I spent under lock and key with Jaguar Land Rover, playing with some stuff of theirs, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the Saturday, I was going to be driven up the hill in a Bentley blower, which would be quite fun. And I went to my digs for the night, and lovely Wayne from Bentley came out and said, look, I'm terribly sorry, but there's a 95% chance that tomorrow is going to be cancelled because of high wind. So basically, it would be fine, except all those giant temporary structures, all those big monoliths that are designed to show off lovely cars and use a lot of marketing budget, they're really big. And some of them, they've got big holes in them, but then they've got high ceilings, so you end up with big sails. And if the wind got above a certain speed, some of them might have disintegrated a bit. I heard a rumour that one of them... They've got wind measuring things on the roof. One of them, if the wind speed got above 37 miles an hour, it was an immediate evacuation and a 15 metre exclusion zone. Wow. Well, and you know, when you've got big temporary structures, it's in the nature of most temporary structures that they blow away a little bit more easily than 
permanent structures. Yes, just a bit. So the whole thing was called off for safety, which I entirely get behind. You know, it's disappointing for me, but I'd had a day and a half there anyway. I think they're coming up with plans to honour tickets from this year, next year, or they're sorting out refunds or whatever they're doing. But yeah, they made very much the right yeah. call because it was yeah. a bloody windy day that yeah. Saturday. I was driving back up the A3 in a Defender and nearly got blown into the lane next to me. And if I'm in a two-ton box, mm. admittedly a slab-sided two-ton box, it was a bit sketchy. So, yeah, they made the right call. Agree, uh, I agree. Tell us about your slab-sided 130-inch uh, um, <laughs> two-ton box. Well, so I was under the Jaguar Land Rover Lock and Key Thursday night and Friday day. They very kindly threw me the keys to Defender 90 to drive down in. Love that thing. The boot is useless, but the rest of it's great. Our rear visibility is terrible, but the rest is great. But part of the reason was... They laid on a bit of a show at the motor circuit of their own. So they had passenger rides in the new Range Rover Sport SV, the 6,000 million horsepower thing, 170 grand Range Rover Sport, which was really quite fast. (laughs) It was very, very fast. I mean, it was a very soggy day. And I was with their sort of chief test driver, head of engineering, Matt Becker, who formerly of House Aston Martin and House Lotus. Yeah. He took me round and we had a good natter and a catch-up and he went, yeah, this thing's good, isn't it? I went, yeah, it's really good, I like it. And it, yeah, mega quick. The fit and finish of it obviously is excellent. The detail I really like, which I only noticed when I was looking from the top of the pit lane, is the paddles behind the steering wheel have little Perspex light-up tops. Oh. So you can see them in the dark. Ooh. Oh, nice. That's a first. I've never seen that on anything else ever. I like that a lot. That was mega. Also, I drove the new sort of 500 horsepower PHEV Range Rover Sport. That was quite brisk, though it was quite wet. So the chap next to me wasn't Matt Becker. He was a little bit wary that the moron in the driver's seat might punt him off into the distance. So that was more slow and steady wins the race. And we did a little bit of off-roading so you can drive around the perimeter road of the motor circuit. Mm and have a bit of fun there. But yeah, for me, the highlight was really the Defender 130 V8. Right. It's been promised, hasn't it? It's a thing. I've done a driving of it. And how is it? Is it a BMW V8 in there? No, this is the 5-litre V8. Oh, what? The old block? Yeah, 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 because that's Defender shape. JLR would not confirm whether Defender 130 V8 was the last production car to use the venerable AJ V8. So, yes, it is that one, because the new ones are 4.4 litre, aren't they? So, yes, it's a 5 litre V8, 500 horsepower, near as damn it. It's really long. <laughs> it's a really, really, really long car. I mean, the Defender's short and stubby and looks a bit boxy and grumpy, but the 130 is massively long. It's huge, absolutely massive. It's all in the overhang. I remember when that car was announced... Because we got so used to the Kurtz look of the 90, yeah. when we see the 130, it really looks like it's got a, oh, it, a seesaw hanging over the back there, wheel. There is some junk in that <laughs> trunk. I mean, it's it's enormous. The 110 is, I think, about the sweet spot. But yeah, the 130 is just huge. It's enormous. Was that your absolute highlight of the whole weekend then, the V8? 130. Uh, Hang on, we'll come back to you on that. I want to ask Zog. Zog, you watched Goodwood? Did you watch the live stream much? I, I watched some of it. I didn't watch all of it. There's something a little bit frustrating about watching something like Goodwood as opposed to a motor race on TV or on a stream. You're just much more inclined to think, oh, I wish I was there. Yeah. You know, it's an event that even more than a motor race you want to be at rather than following along remotely. But yeah, there was some spectacular hardware going up the hill. I mean, it was wonderful mm. to see. I mean, I think one highlight was certainly Sebastian Vettel 
taking the Williams FW14B for a spin, literally. The Mazda 787, Jaguar XJR. Oh, they bought that out again. Yeah, the, the, the Ferrari bread van, old BRM V16. I think we're obliged contractually at this point, Zog, to say that the audio idents, the stings that we use in between bits of Gareth Jones on speed, the engine sounds, vroom, vroom, that is the BRM V16, isn't it? It is, that's right. A fantastic bit of British racing history. I would love to have been there for the Porsche celebration. Oh, that was so cool. Well, yeah, you know, you, 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 you must tell us about that in a minute. The other thing that particularly caught my eye was the McLaren Solus GT. Yeah, what a beauty. Beat me to it. I was just about to say that. Yeah, I mean, that got the fastest time up the hill this year, which was, what, 45 seconds or something like that. And last year... It was the McMurtry Spearling, which yeah, did it in yeah. 39 Ooh, seconds. Very silly motor car. Very wow. silly motor car. Looks like a running shoe, goes uh, like stink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. Mighty Mouse. That's what it is. I think that they weren't actually having a go this year. They'd proved their point last year. So this year it was the wonderful, super space-age-looking, futuristic Zelda GT that took the honours. I am quite in love with the Solus GT, and I think this is probably, if I'm being brutally honest, the first road-going McLaren, sorry, it's not a road car, but you know what I mean, non-race car, that has made me drool. The speed tail's interesting, but I think it's a bit weird. You know, the P1 and the Senna were interesting cars, but the whole concept of the Solus or Solus GT, which is essentially what Caparo were trying to do a few years ago. Do you remember mm. Caparo, an F1 yeah, car? Yeah, the T1. Yeah. The T1. Mm. So basically the Solus is, it's sort of an LMP3, LMP2 car with a Judd V10 in the back of it. Yeah. Sorry, n- not a Judd V10. <laughs> no, no, not a Judd V10. It's a, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. 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 no, no, not at all. But yeah, it's got a whacking great V10 in it. And having listened to it go full chass up the hill, there was that new Pagani Utopia thing, which was very quiet. And then the Solus appeared and just screamed and screamed and screamed, but then was outdone by the Zonda R that followed it. But it's so bloody noisy and it doesn't half move. It's a proper quick thing. And it's weirdly pretty in a sort of minority reportish kind of way. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know, no, you I know what you mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. Proper futuristic. Properly sci-fi. Mm. No, properly futuristic. Properly cool thing. I enjoyed it. If you've done a Goodwood in the last four or five years there's nothing there that would have surprised you or shocked you i mean yeah. last year the mcmurtry spearling was like the wow what's that moment but they bought the mazda out again but admittedly porsche this year did bring out the entire museum it was really quite incredible mm. lotus had an incredible stand this year it was right on the first corner and i asked very nicely if i could go up and borrow their balconies to take some pictures um, and they said yes of course so we watched the supercar run go up so the pininfarina batista just appear and then vanish and <laughs> the solace do its thing And then there was a little bit of a break so the Porsche celebration could go down to the start line. And so you'd see, you know, 917s, 904s, 935s, 718s, not the rubbishy Boxster thing, but the real one. 911s, the Dakar 959, like all of this ridiculous stuff. And you're like, 
that's really quite special. That's all really rather lovely. The noises and everything were incredible. And there were three of us and we were waiting for it to go up. And then we watched that lovely little Hyundai concept dart up the hill. And he was a little bit squishy around the first corner. And then he forgot to turn left at Mulcom. I went straight on. <laughs> the RN22 concept. It should have gone left, but he sort of forgot. Uh, went through a lot of hay bales. Yeah. Because we were wondering, we saw it go and it twitched around the first corner. And it wasn't damp or anything like that. It was a perfectly normal day. And then we thought... Oh, it's a bit quiet, isn't it? And then we saw the safety car go up and thought, oh, that's a bit unusual. And then a medical car go up and went, that's a lot unusual. Oh, dear. And then I jumped on Twitter and immediately someone had clipped the live stream. Of, oh, massive Hyundai crash. And I, oh, no. I mean, regarding safety at Goodwood, there were a couple of incidents this year. That one with the Hyundai concept, but also uh, Jag... What was it, Mark II? Yeah, yeah, the Jaguar wheel. Jag Mark II, again, on the Thursday mm. afternoon, a wheel decided to go off and go into the crowd. Nobody seriously hurt? Anyone hurt at all, do we know? Goodwood has said there are no injuries, so I believe them. I'm just wondering what the optics, as they say in succession, are on this. The fact that we had a couple of... Cross-ply running straight into someone's face, I imagine. Yeah, a couple not. of near misses. Does that mean that they're going to have to put proper fencing up in future? It did look alarming, you know, and a wheel coming off a car that's going at speed and bouncing into a crowd is not something that you want to happen. At the same time, part of the charm of Goodwood is undoubtedly the fact that you're that much closer to the action than you are at a lot of other events and you know if you're watching everyone go up the hill there's just a there's a hay bale there's a bit of space and some hay bale that is easy a few meters and some bales and honestly i like that i'm not very good at risk assessment um (laughs) but i will say that yeah that wheel bouncing in the way that it did to the crowd did not look very safe it was not very safe no Mm. no it was not very safe but thankfully no one was hurt yeah, no one's hurt. They got lucky. Whether or not that changes next year for the insurance, I don't know. Part of me is like, hopefully it doesn't, because, as you say, part of the joy of Goodwood is, you know, you can get this close. Like, you can sniff the cars as they go by, but there is a risk in that. Mm. So, yeah, I hope they don't change it. I don't know what they can do from the mechanical side of it, you know, reminding their drivers to brake. In fact, I know there is one of the, well, the chief test driver for Rimat in the lead-up to it was putting, like, some pictures up on his Instagram and one of them was the driver's briefing pre-brief bit of paper that says Malcolm Corner is off camber goes left break early if you forget you just won't stop like they knew that could happen and everyone knows about Malcolm even if you're driving up at four miles an hour and the rare occasion that I go up always oh no here comes Malcolm right break change down escape quickly don't go into it quickly so yeah Mistakes happen, but the rest of the show was wonderful. It was properly in full swing this year. There was lots of fun stuff going on. Everyone seemed bright and bouncy. On the Friday, it was horribly rainy, though. It was really, really grim. I was glad I wasn't in the regular car park for that one. Did you Mm. get close to an electric E-Type? Have I understood that correctly? I did, but not at Goodwood. I think the week before, which I still need to write up. Eventually, some copy on that will be on Ars Technica. (laughs) Sorry, boss, if you're listening, which I know he is. That's Uh, (laughs) Jonathan Gitling you're talking about. Yes, it is, yeah. Who was one of the reasons that we ended up doing the Land's End to John O'Groats in an electric car. It was him, I think, who originated that idea. I saw a picture of a charging point in John O'Groats that Jonathan Gitling had posted, and I thought... 
hmm, that means we could do Land's End to Johnny Groats. So, yeah, respect. Hello, Jonathan, if you're listening. Hi, man. So, yes, I have driven an electrogenic E-Type. I've talked about electrogenic cars before. The basic jam is you give electrogenic your classic car. They will take all the oily bits out and then put in an electric thing. But they'll wire everything up so your dials work the same way they normally would. Your fuel gauges, your charge gauge, things like that. It all works just the same. They don't do any real resto modding, if that makes sense. If your car is they'll take one look at it and go, no, this is unsafe, take it away. They can advise you on particular vehicles to buy, I guess, but they're not going to do a Lunas or an Everati and take in one car and give you back something completely different. Yeah, it's a kind of sort of more minimal conversion. It's not exactly doing the least you can do to turn it into a proper electric car, but it's a much more limited job. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more pared back. And do you know the top speed of this electrogenic E-type? I could not reach it, but 100 mile an hour plus is all the website says. Right. (laughs) Because don't E-types lift off above 70 miles per hour? Doesn't the nose become light? That's 911s. No, no, E-types as well. I think E-types oh. have an instability thing at the front end, from what I understand. I didn't experience it. I was given it to hammer around the circuit at Vista, which was hilarious fun. And they said, right, here's a track, there's a car, off you go, filly boots, bye. And yeah, I just lapped for hours and hours and hours. What it does do is there's three kits you can get, E43, E48S and E62, and it's either a 120 or 150 kilowatt hour. On the power, 620 or 840 newton metres at the prop. Top speeds, all 100 miles an hour plus, and the most powerful and torquiest will do 0 to 60 in sub 5. If you go for the one with the most power, but the least torque, you get 200 plus miles. I'm going to say something controversial now. You know I love EVs, right? I'm a big fan of all EVs. This is the way cars are going now. Zog, you've been a great advocate of converting older cars to ev it keeps them going on the road a brilliant idea yeah yeah however is it sacrilege doing it to an e-type which should have that lovely waffling vroveling v12 no because those engines i need to do a little bit of a kind of stompy child thing i love the romanticism and i love that people are so into those cars and that engine combination but have you ever actually worked on an XK engine. You've had to live with one of those oh, things. Oh, yeah. I've driven them for hundreds of miles and get to give them back afterwards, and they've gone pop or stupid stuff's happened to them. They sound great, but you need to fill them up with dead dinosaurs every 20 minutes. This, if you just want something that looks like an E-Type to cruise around in, is great. I was at the Bista Scramble thing, driving around the circuit in the mock, and I was a car or two behind the same car I then drove a few weeks later, and there was an old boy with a walking stick and he was driving the e-type he was having a proper go at him and there was me in the mog and he came shuffling over to me and said oh this isn't electric is it i went oh no engine's are fine good oh, it's sacrilege they've done that oh how can they do that and the only thing i could think to say to him was well don't do it to yours then yeah yeah like yeah yeah the choice is there you don't get the xk motor but I don't have the energy or the money to work on the XK motor. Depending on which setup you get with the E-Type, it's actually lighter than the original car. Oh, is it? Which makes it more fun. Yeah. Well, even with the battery? About 90 kilos lighter. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to push back a little. I think, you know, working on those horribly uh, unreliable, cranky old engines 
you know, maybe that's part of the charm. Maybe that's part of the pact with the devil that you get into when you're running a classic. Maybe, yes, doing the electric conversion is going to give you actually a more practical, more reliable vehicle if you do it properly. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that are running older classic cars are prepared to put up with some of that unreliability for that crappy old character that it, <laughs> that it has. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think my bottom line with kind of converting older classic cars to electric is broadly, I think it's a great way of keeping a lot of these cars on the road. And it's a great way of allowing people to drive vehicles that have a lot more character in a way that is more compatible with at least a medium-term chance of our civilization surviving than carrying on in all of the old ways. I think the rarer a car is and the more the engine is part of what makes that classic a classic, mm. the less inclined I would be to make it electric. But there really aren't that many cars that that applies to. You know, you know, most of them, there are enough of them around that you can go ahead and convert them without losing the last one that's on the road. Mm. And, you know, not that many of them have that spectacular engine that you really, really want to hang on to it, I think. Your mate, the old fella who didn't like the idea of an electric E-Type, yeah. reminds me of something someone said, I can't remember who, in the last week, that when you meet someone who is very religious and you perhaps accidentally say something blasphemous... They say, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. I wouldn't be doing it accidentally. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Watch me. You know, the correct <laughs> response when somebody says that is, no, 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 no. You can't say that because that's what you believe. That's your yeah. belief system. I don't have that. So I'm free to say whatever I want. So it's the same with, you know, yeah. can you convert all cars yeah, to electric? Right. Yeah. If you don't want it done to your car, you don't have to do it. It don't doesn't do apply it. to you, right? Yeah. It's the ruddy faced gammonish screaming of the internet going, oh, I guarantee none of the people shouting have been anywhere near an E-type. Yeah. So maybe, mm. maybe, friends, wind it the f*** in. <laughs> <laughs> and with that Absolutely. thought, I think we'll leave it there. But I invite you all to contact us via any of the methods available. We're on what used to be Twitter x really we're on yeah. facebook we're even on reddit there's a gareth jones on speed reddit thing now if you want to Is come there? and join me there yeah i'll send you links guys come and discuss cars there it would be lovely but for now zog thank you very much indeed good to see you both alex thank you very much indeed bye and two final words from me one I'm going to a motor race this weekend. I'm going to an electric motor race, going to the Formula E E-Prix. Are you going to the Formula E? I'm jealous. I'm going. I had some people ring me up saying, do you want to go? But I have things on. Ah. I'm doing stuff with my boring friends. Yeah, I've chosen it over qualifying at Spa because I know Max is going to be on pole, almost certainly. But I wouldn't miss the Belgian Grand Prix on Sunday for the world. So I'm going Saturday. And finally, our next show is our annual summer music compilation where we get to have three weeks off so look forward to that but once again boys say bye bye, bye. bye, -bye. and see you soon bye for information on how to contact the show see pictures get song lyrics follow us on twitter find our facebook fan page or to sponsor the show go to garethjones.tv gareth jones on speed is made in london by a whiz bang gareth jones on speed <laughs>